of all the imagery that the Bible uses to help us understand our relationship with God, none are more beautiful or powerful than that of a shepherd with his sheep. But it's also one of the, one of the least... Under, talk about sheep you know, needing a shepherd, right? Preschoolers are not that different. Um, but when we look at this beautiful imagery of sheep and a shepherd, it's also one of the ones that's least understood by us today, right? I mean, in Israel, especially in ancient Israel, sheep were ubiquitous. They were all over the landscape, and people understood this comparison well. Not so much in Thompson, Georgia, but I learned something about sheep in Thompson, Georgia. Uh, in 2001, at the drive through Nativity, some of you all know this story. We had some sheep that were going to be there for the nativity that night, and they got loose. And I learned that sheep go astray. I learned that they wander away when they're not led and intended to by an astute and caring shepherd. And we had to go all over town. I mean, they were out Wide Oak Road. They were up Main Street. They were in Westview Cemetery. We had sheep all over. And I remember fresh out of seminary, right? I remember thinking, they didn't teach me this in seminary. When they talked about tending sheep and leaving the 90 and 9, I didn't know they meant literally. Uh, but that's what we had to do. And, and I learned that sheep have to be gathered back. They have to be restored to their pen. Uh, so they're there for the nativity that night. And, uh, and I also learned how embarrassingly accurate it is that our behavior and attitudes can be so similar to sheep. Amen? We tend to go astray. We need more help than we like to admit. We're really as helpless as sheep. I mean, we think we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We think we can be wholly self-reliant and self-sufficient. And it's not that we can't do anything for ourselves, but it's that when it comes to the really important things, the lasting, meaningful things, all of our efforts and our own strength and our own wisdom all too often falls flat. They don't satisfy. And we're left feeling empty and restless. But God, our good shepherd, he longs to and he is able to meet the deepest needs of our lives. When we trust in him, we shall not lack. He gives us rest. He gives us the refreshment that our minds, our hearts, our relationships with others so hungers and thirsts for. And yet, even though God has proven time and again that His love is absolute, His ways are true, His provision is best, still we wander off. Still we stray. Like the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And that's why the hymn writer also said, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. So in this next verse of Psalm 23, David is reflecting on those times that we wonder, that we stray off the path, we leave the green pastures, we walk away from the still waters as if we can find greener fields on the other side of the fence, as if somehow we can find cleaner, purer, more refreshing water than what our good shepherd can give us. So I want us to read again the words of Psalm 23. I want us to read them together. They're going to be up on the screen. Let's read these verses out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. Now, our Old Testament reading this morning echoes this provision and protection that Psalm 23 describes. It talks about how the Lord is so gracious and righteous and full of compassion that He protects us in our time of need. He gives rest for our souls. But then, like Psalm 23, Psalm 116 goes on to touch on God's pardon for us when we stray, how He guides our paths. It says He delivers our soul from death, our eyes from tears, and our feet from stumbling, so we may walk with the Lord in the land of the living. And here in Psalm 23.3, we also move from rest and refreshment to restoration. We're going to talk about restoration. Now, David writes about this certainly as a former shepherd who had gone after his own fair share of wayward sheep. But David also writes about this from the perspective of a sheep who has gone astray himself. You know, David also tended to wonder from God's provision. He thought he could find greener fields on his neighbor's rooftop. You remember that story. David's life illustrates for us some of the reasons why and how we tend to wander. The first thing is we need restoration when we wander off. That's the first reason we need restoration. We tend to wander off. Maybe you remember the story of David and Bathsheba there on that neighbor's rooftop. David was home instead of commanding troops in battle like he should have been. And you know what they say about an idle mind. It's the devil's workshop. And so he looks over and he sees Bathsheba. He wants her. He takes her. Even though he was married, even though she was married, even though her husband was one of his best friends. But in that moment, David rejected God's word, forsook God's way, and spiritually went off grid. And the results were a dead husband, a pregnant Bathsheba, an epic cover-up, and a guilt-ridden king. And they thought that he kept it a secret until Nathan the prophet showed up. You see, God had revealed to Nathan what David and Bathsheba had done. And so Nathan chose to confront David with a scandalous story, just not the scandalous story you think. And I want to read that to us here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep, 
or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who would come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. The account that Nathan shared with David tore at his shepherd's heart. He knew what it was like to have a little lamb that you cherished and loved so much you would never take it to slaughter. It tore at his king's heart because he was reeling at the injustice that had been wrought upon one of his own citizens. And so David reacted with righteous indignation. Justice must be served. The villain must pay. Look at verse 7. Nathan said to David, Nathan points his finger in the face of the king and says, You are the villain. You are the man. And David was broken over his sin, ashamed. And we can read his prayer of confession and repentance in Psalm 51. And I want to read for us verses 7 through 12. David prayed, Cleanse me. With hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now by this point, David and Bathsheba were married, but they would still suffer the consequences. They would lose the child. David would struggle with his relationships with all of his other children. They would always be at odds with one another. But God spared David's life. He spared David's throne. The wandering sheep was restored to his good shepherd. In our New Testament reading, we heard the parable that Jesus told about the man who left the ninety and nine of his flock to retrieve one lost, wayward sheep. And he rejoiced over finding and restoring that sheep to his care. Now, the word restore that we keep reading here in Psalm 52, uh, the one here in Psalm 23, verse 3, the Hebrew word for restore here means to return, to renew, to refresh. It means a clean slate. It means a fresh start. In Lamentations 3, 22-23, it says, Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, God doesn't just restore us at the moment of our salvation. I mean, that's obvious He does. That's when we are adopted into His flock. That's when He becomes our shepherd. But even sheep that have long been in the flock can wander off, can't they? Even those sheep need to be restored. And how amazing that our Lord's mercies are ever new, every morning. He is faithful to His sheep. He will never cease to rejoice when one of them returns home. Maybe this morning you feel like that you've wandered off one too many times. You may think, you know, I've I've messed up big time. 
Why would the Lord forgive me? Why would God give me yet another chance? Maybe life has been hard for you. Maybe it's been harder for you than anyone else knows. You have questions. And you have doubts and struggles. Maybe this morning you feel like a failure as a Christian. But I want you to be encouraged by the words of Paul. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, which had its fair share of problems and weaknesses and wayward sheep. And listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. See, sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, is a daily process. It's an ongoing process. And God isn't going to give up on you. God isn't going to leave you halfway finished. God will complete the work that He has begun in you. Renewal, restoration, it's a daily process. Charles Spurgeon said this in one of his sermons. He said, when the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. This morning, are you sorrowful? Come to Jesus. Bring your sorrows to him and he will put your heart and your mind at peace. Let him turn your sorrows into joy, your mourning into singing and dancing. Are you sinful? If so, then 1 John 1, 9 is for you. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, after David confessed and repented of his sin in Psalm 51, he then wrote a prayer of thanksgiving. And as I read this, I want you to listen to how his grief and his sorrow and shame were turned into confident joy in the Lord. Listen to what he says in Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. So he's no longer talking to the Lord now. He's talking to others. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright, in heart. Listen, you can know that same renewed joy today that David knew if you will turn your sins over to Jesus. He is ready and willing to forgive you and to restore you. Are you sorrowful? Are you sinful? Like Spurgeon said, are you weak? 
Maybe you don't have any particular sin that's caused you to wander off. Maybe you've just kind of drifted. You've drifted from actively serving the Lord. Maybe it's because you feel like you're weak. You're small. You don't know much. You feel less than as a Christian. Maybe it's because you're consumed with problems. You have financial problems, marital problems, parenting problems, health problems, and you feel like you just don't have the energy or the strength to be a very good sheep. This brings us to the second reason that our souls need restoration. It's not just for when we wander off to some other pasture, but even in the green pastures that God has given us, we need restoration when we are cast down. When we're cast down. Psalm 42, 11, the psalmist says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Twice in this psalm, the psalmist asked the question, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And in verse 6, he simply just states it. My soul is downcast within me. Now, when we read downcast in this psalm, or some translations say cast down, when we read this, we think he's talking about being sad, depressed, discouraged, and certainly it can mean that. But this term, cast down, is also a shepherding term that describes what happens when a sheep ends up on its back out in the pasture. And it's incapable of getting itself up on its feet. Now, in his book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, Philip Keller describes this, and I've got a little video clip that's going to play while I read this that shows you a sheep in this situation. So when a sheep is cast down, Keller writes, a cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. Lying on its back, its feet in the air, it flays away frantically, struggling to stand up without success. Sometimes it will bleat a little for help, but generally it lies there thrashing about in frightened frustration. And he goes on to talk about how a cast-down sheep can quickly succumb to the elements in harsh weather. If it's out there in the sun on a hot day or a cold day, if it's out there left alone, it can quickly die. As it lays on its back, gases actually can build up in its digestive system and can put such pressure on its blood flow that it will lose circulation to its legs, which would make it even harder for that sheep to get back up. And of course, laying out there alone in a field like that makes it easy prey for a predator. So think then about Jesus' parable. I mean, why would the shepherd leave his flock of 99 to go after one lost sheep? I mean, why would he leave the flock? Why wouldn't he just kind of bring the flock along with him on his quest? Why would he abandon, even for a few hours, those 99 sheep to look for one wayward sheep? Because that wayward sheep might be cast down. Maybe the shepherd's looked off and he's seen the buzzards circling overhead in great anticipation. Maybe he sees off in the distance those legs kind of sticking up there. There's a sense of urgency to go find that lost sheep and save it. Now, what might cause a sheep to be cast down? Well, Keller gives three primary reasons. The first is perhaps the sheep has simply found a soft spot to lie in in that luscious green pasture we learned about last week. 
often one of those comfortable, kind of hollowed-off spots out there where the grass is extra cushy can cause the sheep to roll onto its back. And as I thought about that, I thought, doesn't that speak to us? Doesn't that speak to us when we get comfortable, when life is easy, and we feel safe and secure? Aren't those the times that we tend to grow cold in our faith? We drift from our dependence on the shepherd? We think, I've got this. You know, look at me. I've arrived. Life is so good. And we become negligent in our faith. We let our guard down. We become prideful and distracted. We begin to look like the nation of Israel in Amos' day or in Isaiah's day, as Bobby said in his prayer. Remember when we were preaching through Amos, how the people of Israel were so well off and they were, things were going so good. They were at peace with their surrounding nations. They had all this prosperity. And what did Amos call them? He called them the fat cows of Bashan because they were enjoying all of this luxury while they were turning a blind eye to those in need. And they began to turn to their prosperity and wealth like an idol. And they began to forsake God. They became too comfortable to be of any good to the kingdom. Keller explains how even the largest, fattest, strongest, and sometimes healthiest sheep can become cast and a casualty. Because the second and third reasons a, a, a sheep might be cast is because it has too much wool, so it's kind of top-heavy, or maybe too fat. Those are the other reasons. And all three of those re- reasons remind us of the dangers that we face in becoming too comfortable, in resting on our laurels, becoming self-assured of our own successes, It's like we become too well off for our own good. Don't we see that sometimes happening to us as a nation? Don't we see that sometimes happening to us as a church? It's in these times of comfort and peace and prosperity that we most need to be vigilant, that we need to heed Peter's warning. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And who do you think that line is going to go for first? That lone sheep wandering off looking for greener pastures. That sheep that's become too comfortable and is cast down, lying on its back as the rest of the flock wanders away. Sometimes the shepherd has to shear the excess wool off the sheep. Sometimes he has to limit the sheep's diet so that he loses weight. Sometimes he has to move the sheep out of those comfortable pastures to some rougher places. And none of those options are easy for the shepherd or for the sheep. But discipline seldom is easy, isn't it? Nobody likes discipline. Yet our shepherd has to cut away those sins and those concerns of life that can so quickly entangle us and trip us up. He has to discipline us. And sometimes that means he has to move us. Sometimes that means he has to make us uncomfortable for our own good question for us is, will we follow his lead? Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter 10, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Yes, sheep can wander off. Yes, sheep can become cast down, but by and large, sheep will listen to the voice of their shepherd and follow him. And that brings us to the fourth thing, 
that our good shepherd provides for us. He gives us rest. He gives us refreshment. When we wander or we end up on our backs, stuck in, in the mud of our own making, he restores us. But he also leads us down right paths for his namesake. As I've pointed out before, Psalm 23 echoes the nation of Israel's experience. As the, with the Lord as their shepherd, he, he provided for them. He protected them through the exodus from Egypt to the promised land. He led and guided them through the parted waters of the Red Sea for 40 years across the wilderness and then across the Jordan River. The Hebrew word used here in Psalm 23, verse 3, and in verse 2 are similar. In verse 2, he says that he leads us beside quiet waters. And in verse 3, it says he guides us down the right paths for his name's sake. Those same two Hebrew words, very similar in meaning, were also used by Moses in his song of praise after they crossed the Red Sea. In Exodus 15, 13, he says, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to their holy dwelling. This idea of our shepherd leading and guiding us. We see the same image even expanded more to include this shepherding idea in Psalm 77:20 when it says you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now the Hebrew word there for paths means a well-worn path. And it, and to call them paths of righteousness literally means they are right. They are accurate paths for our well-being. If we follow our shepherd down these paths, we will not lack and we will not stray. Our feet will not falter, and we will not stumble. Keller, again, helps us understand this part of the psalm, and as he describes how sheep are creatures of habit, he explains if left to themselves, they will follow the same trails until they become ruts. Graze the same hills until they turn to desert wastes. Pollute their own ground until it is corrupt with disease and parasites. So one of the jobs of of a shepherd is to actually manage the pasture land. He's got to make sure that he doesn't overgraze his sheep in any one place. He has to keep the flock moving. And the sheep have to stay under his constant, meticulous guidance and direction. Without their shepherd, the sheep are just left to the whims of their own destructive habits. You know, I have to think that they would be sort of like the prodigal son, the wayward son in that story, you know, that they would kind of be like, oh, the shepherd's gone. We've got this whole pasture to ourselves. Let's party. Let's live it up. Let's eat all of this grass to our heart's content. But soon they will have eaten the grass down to the roots and then eaten the roots. And the pasture will be devastated beyond recovery. And then they would be destitute, like the prodigal son, eating pig slop and remembering the good old days at dad's house. Again, how much more can we be like sheep? Because we tend toward one of two extremes. We either wander away looking at the pasture on the other side of the fence, thinking it's lusher and greener than what our shepherd has given us. We either want to wander off or we want to stay put. And when the shepherd is trying to lead us to another place, we say, no, I'm I'm fine right here. I'm just going to camp out right here. And we get soft and we get comfortable and we end up cast down on our backs. The results for either are the same for the sheep and for us. Deprivation, danger, and death. All 
troubles of our own making. As Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. This is why we need a shepherd. (laughs) This is why we need God to lead us down the right paths. And why does our shepherd do this? Yes, it's because it is for our good. Yes, it is because he loves us. But David here says that he leads us down the right paths. Why? For his name's sake. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that the shepherd leads us down right paths for his name's sake? Well, think about being a shepherd whose name and reputation depend not only on how healthy his sheep are, not only on the quality of the wool or the meat that he's able to produce, but also how well he takes care of the land. A shepherd who is negligent and allows his sheep to destroy the fields, you think he would have a good reputation? His reputation would be that of a bad manager. You think he'd have a good name? His name would be full. So, yes, he wants to do right by his sheep, but he wants to be a good shepherd for his name's sake, for the sake of his reputation. God is the same way. God acts on behalf of his own name, his own reputation. He acts always, consistently, according to his character. As Ezekiel 29 says, But for the sake of my name, I brought them out of Egypt. I did it to keep my name from being profaned in the eyes of the nations among whom they lived and whose sight I revealed myself to the Israelites. And twice more in this chapter, the Lord says that he acted on Israel, in Israel's behalf for his name, for the sake of his name. But here's the thing. It's to the benefit of the sheep that the shepherd is a good shepherd, that he has a good reputation as a wise manager of his fields and his flocks, isn't it? Sheep want their shepherd to be a man with a good name and a good reputation, right? I mean, how many, how many of you want your doctor to be a doctor that's well-respected, in, in, Right? You want want your teachers to be known as good teachers for your children. We want people who have a good name and a good reputation. How much more for us that our God, that His purpose in this world in redeeming a lost mankind, that His purpose is to bring humanity into perfect alignment with His will, when that's our God, and when He acts in accordance with that, is it not to our benefit? That he is a gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in compassion and love. A God of power and might. That's his name. And we want him to act in our behalf according to that name. Will we follow our shepherd, though? Will we trust him to lead us down the right paths, even if they're unfamiliar to us? Or will we allow ourselves to be so comfortable and complacent that we get stuck? Will we we become cast down in the soft, safe spots that we found for ourselves? But if we draw close to God, our shepherd, if we walk with him and talk with him and listen to his voice and rely on him to meet our needs, then his character, his namesake, will begin to rub off on us and we'll begin to look more and more like Jesus. Look, God isn't after perfect sheep. God's not interested in perfection for you. Not in this life. He's interested in progress. He takes us as we are and helps us to become more like Jesus. He knows that we're sheep. 
He understands that our tendencies, you're not going to disappoint God because God has no delusions about who we are. And he is infinitely patient with us. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, nothing will undo us if we keep picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give up. So let me say to you this morning, don't give up. Don't give up. Maybe your soul is cast down today. Maybe you fell stuck and helpless. Maybe you've drifted away from a time in your life when you were closer to God. Maybe you've wandered into other fields thinking that the promises there are better than what God can give you. I want you to know your shepherd is looking for you today. He's out there looking, searching. He wants to bring you home. He wants to forgive you and restore your soul. You're in one of three places this morning. You're either in the care of your shepherd, in the flock, listening to his voice and obeying him, and if so, praise God. I'm so glad. Or you're a sheep that's been cast down or you've wandered off and you're in desperate need of help. And maybe you've been ignoring it. Maybe it's just right now God's beginning to speak to you and you're starting to hear his voice and realize you're lost. You've wandered away. You're cast down on your back and you need your shepherd to come and restore you. Maybe this morning you're not even in his flock. Maybe this morning you realize you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never confessed and turned from your sins and put your trust in Jesus. And you know that if you were to die today, or maybe you have a sneaking suspicion if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity lost and separate from God forever. So I want to invite you this morning, if that's you, to pray, to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, to let Him forgive you and bring you into His flock. Let Him become your shepherd. And we would love to rejoice with you in that. Secondly, maybe for you this morning, you're a member of His flock, but you've wandered or drifted away. You feel stuck. You feel stuck in your walk with God. You feel stuck in your prayer life and your Bible reading. You feel stuck in your experience at church, and you need your shepherd to come and put you back on your feet. You need to come and bring, you need him to come and bring you back into the fold. If so, then this morning, this altar is open, and I'm standing here, and I would love to pray with you, or you can come and pray and just say, Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, pick me up off my feet. Forgive me. Bring me back into your fold. Maybe this morning, you just need to say, Lord, lead me down those right paths. I'm ready and willing to follow you wherever you lead. Wherever you lead, I will go. Maybe God is leading you to unite with this church family. Maybe God is leading you to serve in some way. Maybe God is leading you to share your faith with a coworker, a family member, or a friend. Whatever he's saying, if you're going to follow him, you've got to obey his voice. So let's stand together. Let's pray. And you come and respond as God, your good shepherd, is calling you to. Father, thank you for being such a patient God. Thank you for putting up with us, for being long-suffering with us, when we tend to wander away and we get ourselves stuck on our back. Thank you for being a shepherd who leaves the 99 to go and look for us and to restore us, to give us a fresh start. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And if there's anybody here today that needs to experience that, I pray they would come, Lord, that they would put their pride away, that they would not worry about what anybody thinks, but that they would come in desperate, humble obedience to your calling. If there's anyone that doesn't 
know you or has any doubts about whether they know you as their Lord and Savior, if anybody has any doubts about where they will spend eternity should they die, I pray they would make that certain today and put their trust in Jesus. Father, whatever your spirit is calling us to do, may we listen to your voice.